This is John Halsman. Welcome to the latest edition of Around the World in 20 Minutes, our podcast, which tries to make sense of the world this week. And here we're going to take a deep dive. We're not going to look so much at what's going on minute to minute and look at one of the things that actually is ruling our world beneath the scenes. And this is the death of the grown-ups, the West center-right governing establishment falling apart. But what an establishment it was. When you think of the bench strength of these people, it's incredible. We're talking about Eisenhower's Republican Party all the way through to Reagan. We're talking about Conrad Adenauer and Helmut Kohl and the Christian Democratic Union of West and then Germany. We're talking about the Gaullists going from the founding member of the Fifth Republic, Charles de Gaulle, through to Pompidou, through to Giscard d'Estaing, all the way up into Chirac and even Sarkozy. And then we're talking through with the rest of the world, the Liberal Democratic Party of Japan, neither liberal nor democratic nor a party, but boy, can they win elections. They've run Japan for every year but five since 1945, which is not a bad record. Uh, we're talking about the Tory party, the perhaps the most successful governing party in modern history, um, and the glory days of Margaret Thatcher, of course. But going back even to Macmillan, you have quite an impressive record there. And, the, and this group has basically run the West for two-thirds of the time they've won elections. The left wins occasionally. There is the odd Tony Blair. There is the odd Willy Brandt. There is the Bill Clinton here or there, Obama. But by and large, the center-right has been the governing establishment of the Western world since the end of the Second World War. Well, what do this group stand for? Well, three basic things that were discernible through thick and thin, which is one of the reasons people cared less about who was running and more about the brand, about what they stood for, which was the key to their success. Some people ran this better than others, and that was acknowledged, but that they would do roughly the same sort of thing made them very routinized and very able to be analyzed. And this was indeed very useful for the rest of the world and was a key to their success. And of the three things, number one, they stood for being grown up about fiscal responsibility. Whereas the left would spend money like drunken sailors, they at least would say we need to worry about deficits, the debt, and occasionally the strength of our currency. And, you know, whereas, as Bill Clinton put it, the problem is the Democrats are seen as the mommy party. I'll care for you. I'll nurture you. I'll give you too much, perhaps even spoil you. The Republicans and the center-right were seen as the daddy party. Eat your vegetables, go to bed on time, and you better get good grades or you're not going to college. And whereas people like the mommy party, they need the daddy party. And when it comes to it, this was more than enough to win a majority of elections. The center-right has never been loved. doesn't need to be. It needs to be respected. And fiscal responsibility was one of the pillars upon which that respect was built. The second basic point would be political moderation that the center-right was a filter keeping the far-right at bay. If you think of Germany and the CDU and its partner, the CSU, Franz Josef Strauss, the longtime head of the Bavarian wing of the center-right German party, he said, the great thing about the CSU is no party is allowed to be farther to the right than we are. We are the gatekeeper of all the nasty Germanic things floating around. And in Europe, people would nod and say, that's a very good thing to be. But this also worked for people like Ronald Reagan. Only Reagan could say, Mr. Gorbachev is a man we can do business with. There's no way Teddy Kennedy could have said that because he was seen as weak on foreign policy. Reagan as a hawk when he said that was taken seriously. So again, this moderation, the seeing off, and Reagan brilliantly, it's forgotten, saw off the neocons who, wrong as ever, at the time said, 
Don't trust Mr. Gorbachev. We can't wind down the Cold War. We have to destroy them, almost back to the old MacArthur view of rollback. And Reagan said, absolutely no way. But because he was on the right, nobody could challenge him as not being an anti-communist. And so he used this moderation to play a wonderful political game that led to the end of the Cold War. So this political moderation paid huge benefits. They're not always given credit for it, but this is vital to why they've been so successful across the world. And then the third basic reason, beyond the economics um, and, and the politics of this, was that they stood for basically an establishmentarianism view of how the world ought to work. We're not going to do anything too crazy. We might be boring. We might not have enough imagination. We might make mistakes along the way here, but we're politically moderate. We're economically sensible and we're realists. We're realist internationalists. We believe in the international system, but we believe that states, whether you like it or not, make decisions based on national interests. And if we all are grown up and accept that, we can do business together with almost everybody who's out there. And this was a vitally important part, that they were discernible because realism has an ethos to it. There is a system of, of thought that can be perpetuated and applied to every single foreign policy issue ever. This certainly helps my career as a realist that whatever the issue, I know what I stand for and it's clear and I can articulate that. And so you can, you can actually apply what you know to life. And this was a great strength for realism, whereas the more utopian schools of thought like neoconservatism or the left Wilsonianism are constantly frustrated the world doesn't work the way they want. Let's remember Rousseau died in an insane asylum. He was very disappointed about the world. It didn't conform to what he wanted. This made him literally crazy, as it did Robespierre, Sanjust, run the list of crazy left-wing people. The neoconservatives, too, as we've said, talk about democratic peace theory, which has never existed for one minute of recorded history. We've never had this, and they can't just understand why the people can't be abolished, so they do what they want. A realist would never think this way. They'd say, well, let's start with what we are, warts and all, and build on that and do better from that. But let's start with seeing the world ethical realism. The imperative is to see things as they are and then try to make them better. That's Burke. And that's why realism actually transforms itself into running the world. And this was a huge advantage that the center-right had. So what happened? Well, on each of these basic points, the center-right has ruined the brand by straying from it. A great example of this is Germany, where Angela Merkel, as you know, the queen of mediocrity, the symbol of our age, who is known for being in power but not for what she does, um, has been tactically shrewd and strategically ruinous. And so tactically, she's seen the CDU never all that responsible anyway fiscally, but had the brand over the left at least, and has moved them resolutely to the center. Now, although this is strategically great, the SPD can only then say, me too, I agree. If they go too far to the left, nobody in Germany wants that. So they agree with Mrs. Merkel and she's diffused an issue. Very clever, tactically, but ruinous strategically because now, as we've seen in the last election, why not vote for Olaf Scholz, who's the SPD candidate, who's Merkel's finance minister, and agrees with her on almost every major issue. There's no room between the two. And so she's muddied the water, which has worked for her, but will not work for her party in any way. This is an example. Boris Johnson has done the same thing. You think of the joys and rigor of Thatcherism, where there was gigantic oceans of blue water between the Tory party and the left, far left-wing party of Viscount Antony Wedgwood Ben. Only in Britain can a left-wing guy be named Viscount Antony Wedgwood Ben. 
Champagne socialism at its finest. Let everyone have their own estate. This lunacy did not pass the laugh test. Then Thatcher went to her right, they went to her left, and there was a giant difference. Now Boris Johnson wins labor constituencies in the Midlands in the north. And what does he do? He behaves like a drunken sailor, going back to the Macmillanite corporatist view, not very far away from the left-wing view. The differences between Edward Heath and Harold Wilson are almost nothing. And we're back to mush, because Johnson is spending money like a drunken sailor, bravely opposed by Rishi Sunak, the chancellor, but at the moment, Johnson is winning. And this is a gigantic problem. So they've made that mush as well. The Republicans, obviously, same problem. Republicans never met a tax cut they didn't like, but on the spending side, they're all too often eloquently silent. And although better than the far left of the Democratic Party, which talks about spending money that no one's seen and covers their ears when you talk about entitlement reform. On the other hand, the Republicans are not serious either. We have two unserious fiscal parties. So in other words, they've made a mush of the brand over time. And, th and this has led to the death of their advantage. On political moderation, obviously with the breakdown of this party system, you have the emergence of one-man band populism. And this has ruined the moderation argument. Donald Trump is merely one of many examples here. Yes, in 2016, Trump perpetuated what amounts to a unfriendly takeover in business terms of the Republican Party. He comes in and actually makes the populist argument that we need to not be the party of business, not the party of the establishment, but the party of the lower middle class more and more and wins that argument and still is winning that argument. Donald Trump is the most popular former president in the history of the Republican Party, more so than Eisenhower, Reagan, go back to the 1920s and Gallup polling, anybody. So this has made a huge change, but it is no longer the party of moderation. It's a populist party. Um, on the other hand, when you look at Boris Johnson, same thing. Boris Johnson has taken over the Tory party. It's not a cabinet-driven government there. It's whatever Boris Johnson wants to do. And this is a great problem when he wants to spend money like a drunken sailor. But there is no doubt he's running an executive-style system in what is really cabinet government traditionally. Mrs. Thatcher did the same, but the difference was that she hewed to the center-right's principles. And so that worked, whereas Johnson's making it up as he goes. And so again, moderation's out the window there. In France, the moderation's out the window because the Gaullists aren't even going to make the second round of French presidential voting for the second consecutive time. Um, the Gaullist party will lose out to Marine Le Pen on the far right, Eric Zemmour on the far right, and uh, Macron, who's now the center-right, in essence, candidate, having kind of drifted from his center-left days under Hollande. Uh, he, Macron is effectively running as a Gaullist, and there's a reason he has a giant picture of de Gaulle in his study. I mean, that's not subtle, but it tells me what he, where he's going, and that's fine. But in each case now, the Gaullist party, with all its tradition and its establishment, its bench, its ethos, isn't going to qualify for the key role in governing the country for a second election in a row, along with the socialists. So it's all personality driven. And in Germany, the CDU had its worst result in history with a man, Armin Lachey, who laughs at people's funerals. Deeply unattractive, boring, colorless, breathtakingly awful campaign. And he managed to lose to even the SPD, a party which until recently were seen as in eclipse and decline. They were the tallest pygmy in the, in the village and somehow won. But again, moderation out the window in all these cases. So that's gone. Then we come to realism, the last tri of the triad. 
Obviously, in the United States, when the neoconservatives took over the Bush administration, this greatly damaged the brand. And although Trump on this issue has behaved like an establishmentarianism and gets no credit for that, uh, the reality is the Republican Party has an internal battle between a deep state that wants to intervene almost everywhere promiscuously and Trump and Trumpists who really don't. In fact, Donald Trump is the only modern president not to start a war. He doesn't get enough credit for that. But that's the case. So although, ironically, he's an establishmentarianism, it really was under W that the neocons really fatally damaged the brand. And that battle's still going on. I think we have to, I say this as a realist and with real sorrow, but it's the truth. Um, the same thing sort of happened with the Tories, that, that David Cameron, when he came in, didn't undo Tony Blair's ridiculous neoconservative position where he wants to use the American army to invade everywhere, as he said in his Chicago speech. He was more neocon than the neocons. Uh, and, and this was, you know, popular, at least in England, no one cared. It's probably more to the point. Um, Cameron comes in and says, let's invade Syria. And blessedly, the British Parliament said no, which is, again, where a parliamentary system has its advantages. But they flirted with this. And now Boris Johnson, one gets the feeling he's doing the right thing for all the wrong reasons. You know, he's for the Anglosphere, but only because everything else seems to not be working. There's no principle here. It's that it's working. Reality is what it is. And he's at least accepting it. But he's no standard bearer of sober realist internationalism or sober anything, really. And so, you know, let's be clear there. The French actually are more, more, more Gaullist and realist than anybody else. Unfortunately, that's for a pro-French view, which is for a neutralism or an equidistance between the U.S. and its rival. And this has been true since de Gaulle tried to play the Soviets off the Americans, failing to do so, ending up in the American orbit to his annoyance, uh, while we mentioned the fact we should never have liber let them liberate Paris when we did all the work. But de Gaulle failed in this goal, but this is the impulse of Gaullism, so that's not very helpful either for the West. And then we have a CDU that wants to be neutralist. It wants to sell stuff to China. Germany is one of the great export-driven countries of the world. China is now its largest trading partner. Yeah, they're embarrassed. They treat the Uyghurs badly. But bottom line, they're not going to do anything to impair that because German foreign policy is mercantilist in nature almost entirely. So on each of these big three points, political moderation, being a grown-up about fiscal responsibility and sober, realist internationalism, you see the major parties of the West literally fall apart. And the problem with this isn't that the right goes away or that the left take over everything. That's certainly not happened by any means. The problem is you now have personality-driven government across the board. The shorthand for this is a very good friend of mine put me to me is Donald Trump. But that's not true. It's part of this broader system that's going on, of which Trump is one, but not the only exemplar. And in fact, this began well before him. And the reality is that this makes the world much harder to game out. Now I have to worry about the Freudian psychology of an individual rather than these basic points in the bench strength that occurred. Because what the center-right establishment did was winnow out uh, views that didn't fit this broad, moderate pattern. If you said, let's invade everybody, they wouldn't let you be under Secretary of State. If you said, let's work with the Ku Klux Klan, they'd say, no, we're not going to do that, and you're not going to get promoted. If you said, let's spend all the money there is and not worry about the deficit, you wouldn't do very well at the Fed in the old days. And this kept everyone, even odd views, on balance. This set parameters for what was acceptable and what was not. And this was the great strength. The bench strength, the institutional strength of these parties kept views that were ruinous off the board. That's now gone, and we have to worry about 
the pathology of Macron marrying his teacher. It's like Mrs. Robinson over in France at the moment. And, you know, this is a factor we need to think about. You know, I hear Simon and Garfunkel every time I see the man. Um, we have to worry about Trump and what's going on there. I don't even want to get into the bullyabaz of what's going on psychologically there. I have to worry about Armin Lachey laughing at funerals. And what does that mean about Germany uh, and who's going to be running things? And, you know, Boris Johnson, another guy, he doesn't know how many children he has. He's literally said six or seven. This is an issue that you should be absolutely rock solid about the number of children you have. And everyone knows that Boris's views of commitment are not necessarily those, I mean, both political and personal, are not the views of a normal human being. But I have to actually care about this beyond finding it amusing because it matters, because there's nothing restraining these people. There are no checks anymore within that system that restrain them. So I actually have to worry about this stuff, which makes it much, much harder to establish how things go, which is why everyone out there with a business should hire my firm because it's much harder in this new world without these comforting parameters that really led the West for 70 years. And this is broken down without anybody much knowing what's going on or talking about it. But it's making it harder and harder to game out what's going on under the engine in each of these countries, but also how they work together. It really does matter now if Boris Johnson and Trump get along. The press has always said this mattered. It almost never matters because interests trump this nonsense. That's not true anymore. It does matter if these people like each other, don't like each other, get along, hang out, don't hang out. That's why Macron made such an effort with Trump, because he realized, if I don't get in there and change his views of France, we're in for a world of hurt, because the Republican Party won't restrain him and say, look, I know the French are annoying, but we have to work for them, which in the old days is exactly what would be said. And that isn't being said anymore. So it does matter that Macron get in there, that Abby go over to Trump and give him a golden putter like a Bond villain. Uh, he gives him a golden putter. I'm like, I think I'm watching Goldfinger and Gert Frobe is there. And, you know, we're dealing with that uh, with Connery. Because if you don't get along on a personal level, the person could well swing on you and then you've got a terrible time. Abby became known in Japan as the Trump whisperer because he was so good at doing this. But he had to do it. He was shrewd to do it. It was right to do it because there is no Republican Party to restrain those impulses or anybody else's impulses. And so we're living in a world where the cult of the individual is taking over as the grown-ups die. It isn't that the death of the grown-ups the grown did everything perfectly, but with their demise and nothing being put in its place at the moment, it means we have to live in the world of Freudian psychology, which is a scary, scary world. As we've said, I'm, I'm going to end with the Mrs. Robinson theme in my head to go. And what does that say about Macron? What, is that, what does that say about Trump? What does that say about Johnson? Scary things I don't want to think about too much, but I have to, because without institutional restraint, Freudian psychology matters. And so we're in a world where the cult of the individual matters. And that should be our takeaway from this Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed that. It's always fun to do these. I'm on the road, which is particularly fun, uh, with good friends talking through how the world works, which has been remarkably edifying. For those of you who liked it, please do hit the subscription button. I'm thrilled so many of you have subscribed, and please keep doing so. And for those of you who have subscribed, we're asking for the espresso price now. I'm not having espresso at the moment, but we're asking for the price. $7 a month, $70 a year. Uh, Substack is my favorite format because I can talk to you in an unvarnished way about what's going on without the middleman of editors to chop things up and get between us. But it does work on the honor system. And I want to keep doing more and more of this because we've had such a remarkable response. We're putting more and more of our content 
onto Substack, but the flip side is in return, I need the espresso price so that we can keep the staff happy and they can have their own espresso. And on that happy note, I wish you a wonderful Veterans Day here in the United States and spare a thought for the people that saved the world. Thanks very much and look forward to the next.